Everybody, can you hear me okay? So uh, I, I have it shared up there on the uh, screen, season 22. I'll explain that here in a second. But that's what the title of the sermon is. And season 22, as in uh, uh, 2022. Let me just pull this up. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. I talked to Steve about me ask or being able to just kind of tell my story. And so I'm, I'm actually going to talk um, a lot about the past, but that's not where I want things to end. I want things to be, uh, you know, focused on the present and what we do in the future there coming up. So since moving to New York almost 30 years ago, many people have asked me what I was doing here, how did I end up here, and basically, what's your story? Um, stories connect us with other humans. Everyone has a story, every story is different, and behind every person is a story. Our stories and our lives are experienced by us and witnessed by others and God. The majority of our days are spent doing what most agree is rather mundane or ordinary activities. And every so often we experience an important or meaningful event. And some of those are filled with a lot of joy and some are filled with a lot of pain. Maybe we shouldn't be so quick to label much of what we do as mundane and ordinary. God may see those little things as extraordinary. He does have a different view. We know that. Outside of time, a totally different view. According to Ephesians 6, all that we see with our eyes and experience in the flesh is actually just a visual or worldly representation of an invisible spiritual struggle. Ephesians 6.12, and I'm going to be reading from Ephesians and just kind of not, uh, not paraphrasing, but just pulling out some of the key words. <clears throat> Ephesians 6.12 says, our struggle is against rulers, against powers, and against world forces of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness. The streaming show series uh, on various streaming channels is uh, kind of a new phenomenon. People have spent many hours viewing them. Some stories have multiple seasons, multiple episodes. And Americans, for that matter, and for that matter, humans have always liked a good story, a narrative. So I'm going to tell you about my story. And much of it is from my younger days, but it'll lead us up to the present. But I want you to think about your story and other people's story and how you fit in to other people's story as well. You know, Dr. Irby spoke about some of the practicals on goals and growth. And Dr. Kennard uh, was talking about a journey, an ultra marathon. So season 22 is about you as the main character. The creator, the writer, God has given you creative license for season 22. So think about that. I was born in California. I don't know if you knew that. I grew up in five different states and finally settling in Greensboro, North Carolina at age 13. Uh, I had loving, supportive parents. There was no physical, mental abuse, no alcoholism, no marriage drama or major financial issues. 
there was no crisis. There was also no religion, no custom of going to church on Sunday, uh, basically no spiritual talk, no prayer before meals. There was a lot of sports, 24-7, 365. And my parents were really not accomplished athletes of any sort, but I just knew that that's what I was supposed to be doing. And I really sunk all my time and energy into it. Around 13 years old is where things began to be, well, started to go down the wrong path. You know, Ephesians 2 and the book of Ephesians, Paul tells the Ephesians, remember your former life. Remember you were dead through sin. And it says that you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, living in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. So around 13 years old is when I really started to experience that, those trespasses and that death. That's when pornography, impurity entered into my life. Around 17, I began drinking. Uh, using marijuana, and these would just serve as gateways for more serious drugs. So substance abuse, sexual immorality, worldliness would be consistent dark forces almost every day of my life for the next six years until I was 23, all of which would leave scars and long-term consequences on my heart and my mind. I went to college in Charlotte, North Carolina in the fall of 1985, primarily to pursue baseball, not the academics. After four years there, I was drafted in 1989 and began a short professional baseball career in the minor leagues for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. My first season was out west, mostly in Montana, and being away from home and having only baseball to focus on afforded me time to think about life for the first time, I mean, think about life. It kind of simplified life. That's all I had to do was play baseball. That's what I did every single day. And it made things clearer for me than ever before. And I believe God was working on my heart as I was separated and just out West playing baseball. And I really started at a time thinking, there's a reason that I'm here. And I have actually thought maybe, and I used the word chosen. I remember, I was like, I'm I've been chosen to do something beyond play baseball. And I appreciate Steve last week um, prompting us to watch The Chosen. I'm, I've been watching it and I am blown away. I was really, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I read one of the reviews from The Atlantic. This is what they said. It says, rather than merely reciting Jesus's greatest hits, Jenkins and his writers linger with the characters in their daily lives, marital and professional conflicts, financial struggles, campfire gatherings, and when the audience sees climatic moments from the, from the Gospels, such as Jesus's miraculous healing of a leper, the events register as disruptions of the status quo. And I was thinking about that show, The Chosen. I was like, this isn't, The Chosen's not, yeah, it's about Jesus, but it's also about everybody around him that has been chosen to follow Jesus and to have a, a special role in what was going on. 
And so I started thinking about Ephesians 1, where it says that we're chosen and we're destined, predestined. 1.4 says he chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. 1.5 says he predestined us to adoption as sons. And Ephesians 1.11 says we are predestined to obtain an inheritance. Now, I know that Calvin and the Calvinists kind of took the predestined, predestination thing and kind of went the wrong, down the wrong path with that. And so God, yes, has a predestined plan, but at the same time, his love just lays it out for us. We have full choice and we are not forced or have to do anything. In God's love, we make our choices every single day. And so back to the story, the following year, my second year, I went to Wisconsin and the Midwest, Iowa, Illinois, that area. Uh, and then when you arrive in the town that you're playing in, we have to find housing. And so me and four other guys rented a house. And I walked in to the house and on the kitchen table, were five Bibles with a note on it. Something, I can't remember the exact wording, but please take one. And I hope you were able to read it. And I hope God is able to move in your heart. Something like that. I was the only one who picked up the Bible. And I put it in my stuff, in my bag. Um, and I began to read it on those long road trips uh, there in the, in the bus. Uh, eight, nine hour road trips. But I did the usual thing, beginning in Genesis and quitting soon after. Uh, but, you know, there was an attempt. I did begin to read some other books. There was this one book called Psycho Cybernetics from a guy named Maltz, and another book from Scott Peck, uh, The Road Less Traveled. And so God was moving in my heart and changing me. And I, started, I'm thinking about that as now, as I look back on, if God's not going to directly show himself, perform a miracle or speak to me in an audible voice, then how is God going to communicate with me today? Other than the Bible, obviously prayer and the Holy Spirit, I would assume people, definitely the church, but even random people like those people who were my landlords. And think about that for a second. Do you have a similar event where there have been people in your life that God is trying to speak to you and get your attention through them? It's happened to me multiple times, I have to say. Well, I returned to Charlotte in the off season in the fall of 1990, and I was uh, working at a trucking company, loading trucks at night. I was talking with one of my coworkers, and I found out that he attended a church, and I told him, hey, I, I wanted to go, So, which, which I did go. So they had a, uh, what you call an altar call. I came up. There was a prayer. And after that, uh, they led us into the back room and gave us some reading material on basic Christian principles. Uh, I remember walking out of that, that back room, walking across this big parking lot, and almost floating, feeling like I was floating. The world looked different. I felt different, except 
that I was not actually different. I was still enslaved by substance abuse, impurity, materialism, greed, pride, and selfishness. And I thought about Ephesians 2 when Paul tells the Ephesians, hey, at one point you were still separate, still excluded, still a stranger. And not long after this, I walked into the fitness center at UNC Charlotte, where I had graduated. I was there over the off season. I was working out, preparing to go to spring training. It was December of 1990. I would be 24 years old later that month. So I walked into the fitness center and I rec recognized the guy in the weight room. I knew two things about this guy. And I didn't need to know or personally talk to him to know these. Number one, I knew that he was the biggest, strongest guy in the weight room. He was moving around some serious weight. Number two, I also knew that he had a connection, some spiritual connection with either a local church or with the campus ministry. I walked up to him and I asked him, can I go to church with you? Little did I know, but I just had walked up to the Charlotte Church of Christ campus ministry leader. Had no idea, didn't know anything. So I imagine later that day, he says, hey, I got a visitor to come in the church today. <laughs> You're not gonna believe this. Uh, anyway, I went to service and I saw what many of you saw and what Marty described. I saw a multiracial, young and vibrant church great singing, great conversations, great relationships, and a practical message based on sound teaching from the Bible, and obviously an opportunity to read and learn the Bible on a deeper and personal level. A couple guys that were there was a guy named Rick Mall, who's now, I believe, in Connecticut, and he's an author, and uh, Dean Toscano, um, and I actually met his brother later on in New York, Vince Toscano. But soon after this, so I, I, I'd gone to church, soon after that, I left for spring training in Arizona, back west again, but returned after one month due to never recovering from a second shoulder surgery on my, on my right shoulder. I returned to Charlotte. I got baptized. Uh, this is 91. I got my first real job working for a bank. And uh, by January of 1993, I was asked to go into the full-time ministry. And so for the next couple of years, I spent time with guys that were leading their church, a guy named Pat Shoniker, a guy named Ron Clendenin, and another guy named Barry Mafood, who had come from Jamaica. I even spent a summer at the University of North Carolina with Sam Lang. And Mafood, Barry Mafood had acquired uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. And for several weeks, uh, he was too tired to do anything after two o'clock. And so what he would do is he would write a sermon in the morning and then he'd ask me to preach it at night at the midweek services. So every midweek service, I would do that. Uh, it was an unusual, but I would have to say an effective way to train a speaker or train a preacher. Um, at a leadership conference in California, I met some full-time ministry staff from New York, and by January of 1995, I had moved to New York City. Now, that 
seems like not so, it it was a huge deal. It was a huge deal for my family. It was a huge deal that I was in North Carolina. I sold my car. I sold a, left everything that I had and moved up to New York City. It was it was just a big deal um, to do this. Even as a single, it was a big deal. In New York, wow, New York, New York City. Uh, I describe it as a spiritual and cultural buffet. Every day was filled with amazing experiences. Uh, and some of what I experienced during that time was not always the best, is not totally spiritually healthy, but that's where things were. But I was able to spend a lot of time with Sam Powell, uh, and that was great. And I, I led what they called a sector, which is basically like a little small church of about 100 people or so. And, and, and during that time, I did all the midweek services and I led the meetings with the Bible talk leaders in the sector. Every week I would go to a meeting with the, with the full-time staff. I got to go to Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, the Manila, Manila Philippines. Um, and after about a year and a half, I moved out to New Jersey, Bergen County. And I led the teen ministry in Ridgewood, New Jersey for about a year. I was able to spend time with Clyde Wentworth and Sheridan Wright. So unbelievable uh, men of God that I was able to spend time with. But eventually I had a conversation with Clyde and Sheridan and it was nothing like specifically that I did, but it was just prompted by the spirit. They just felt like this was not the direction that I needed to go in. I needed to not be in the full-time ministry anymore. So it had been five years I'd been in the ministry. And so there I was. I basically was told, you're not going to play baseball anymore. And now I'm told, you're not going to be in the full-time ministry anymore. So not a lot of success happening here, except that, yeah, I was a disciple of Jesus, but there was, you know, things weren't going the way that I had planned them on my, on, my, on my journey. And I had a lot of questions then at that point. Was I going to stay in New York or was I going to move back to North Carolina? What was I going to do about a job? Uh, you know, I was going to be 31 years old later that year. And I decided to stay. Uh, I enrolled at Ramapo College and I began to pursue a master's degree in uh, teaching. And I began dating Kelly Adamson at that time. Uh, she, Kelly Adamson. Uh, eventually, I, I moved to Rockland and uh, I got to spend time with Jim Brown, who was there, and obviously Steve Kennard and Lee Kennard, and got to hear Steve speak uh, a lot at that time or hear him teach. And by November, the following year of 1998, Kelly and I had, had gotten married. It was quick. And a, a year later, I began teaching and coaching at Tappan Zee High School and St. Thomas Aquinas College, respectively. And so for the past 20 years, and I'm, I'm going to put 20 years into a paragraph here. It's not, doesn't work perfectly, but hey, if I talk to you one-on-one, -on -one, I'll fill in the details. But for the last 20 years, Kelly and I obviously raised three boys, Tyler, Cameron, and Mason. Uh, 
19, 17, and 14. Tyler's 19. Um, you know, parents, <laughs> we made many mistakes. We, we definitely did. I made many mistakes as a father and as a husband. Um, and as the church went through a difficult time, I struggled with my own sin. And, and, and it was, it was, it was a couple, couple years were difficult. You know, there was a couple really rough stretches in there. Mark and Elaine Calavaro would be consistent source of help and encouragement to Kelly and I. Uh, we still served. We served uh, as volunteers. I was in the full-time ministry anymore, but I was serving. We were serving as uh, in the preteen ministry. I was serving in the teen ministry. And as uh, Steve alluded to, around 2015 or 2016, we started having Bible talks at my place of employment, which was St. Thomas Aquinas College. Um, and Steve likes to joke about this, but the first Bible talk was just me and Tyler. That's it. I had one visitor and we did the parable of the sower and that was it. So Tyler heard it right there. <laughs> it was, uh, it was funny. So yeah, the first Bible talk, but shortly after that, we literally had a Bible talk with 40 people in it. I'm not kidding you. It was pretty amazing to see God working through our efforts there. But, um, Steve, Stephen Lee got involved and embraced everything and was amazing. Uh, Ryan Irby came and did multiple uh, Bible talks there. Uh, Mike Santori uh, did uh, worked with the uh, Nyack College uh, baseball players and athletes that were coming over. And it's interesting that I don't know if any of the Nyack College baseball or co Nyack College athletes would have ever come if it wasn't for one guy, uh, Joey Pena, who was one of my players. And he knew the assistant coach, Chase Sandberg, at Nyack College from when they used to play together in a summer league down in, Char in, down in South Carolina. And so it's just wild because I asked Joey if he wanted to come to Bible Talk. He texts Chase and... 20 people show up from Nyack with Chase. Uh, and it was just, um, you know, God was moving. It was a, just the right time with the right people, with, with Joey and with Chase. And, and it, it was just an amazing thing there, what, what God was able to do. Several students, as you know, were baptized, including Alyssa from the softball team, who's from California. And uh, there's even a couple marriages that have come out of, uh, this, uh, that Bible talk, which is interesting. Uh, in, to, in 2018, I moved to New City. We moved to New City, Kelly and us uh, and the boys. And uh, in 2019 was a very difficult year for me because basically I lost my job at St. Thomas Aquinas College as the head baseball coach. The third time someone says, you will no longer do this and told me I had to go do something else. So it was extremely painful for me because, not because I didn't have the job anymore, but because of not feeling loved or appreciated for all the time that I spent there, basically. I also lost my, my one-year-old dog, got hit by a car and died that year. And that happened in 2019. It was just, I felt really bad. It was very painful for me 
for those two things alone. Um, in March of 2020, we know that COVID-19 began. And for me, it, there was no health risk for me personally. There was no financial crisis. Um, my family was not affected in any way by it, not even my parents who were 78, 77 years old. Uh, I kind of lived in this vacuum, so to speak. I was, yeah, I was doing Zoom with my students for a year and a half, but you know, I felt spared by it for sure. The one thing that did happen to me, I was obviously isolated like many of you. And it wasn't good for a guy that like me who was prone to not having deep relationships. And so it just kind of furthered me down the road of not being connected deeply with other men. The one positive outcome, though, was that Kayla and I began to spend time with uh, Dr. Mark and Fiona, and I've continued to do that uh, over the past since, uh, you know, the, the worst of the, the virus has, has happened. So uh, we did a lot of Zoom uh, uh, times and discipleship times and, and get together times. And it has been great. And I was thinking about that the scripture in, in Ephesians 2, where Paul reminds him, where Paul reminds the Ephesians. Now they're not separated anymore. They've been brought into the church with the Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says, you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit, the spiritual dwelling. And he reminded them in church, and I remind you and ourselves as we go down this journey. And so God is always working. He's, he's working through our intentions, our decisions, our actions, and our goals, all of which we control. And obviously, we'll need to react to events that we have no control over, such as a pandemic. But God encourages us to take control of many of those small and seemingly insignificant aspects of our life because I believe those will in turn drive and determine larger, more impactful events that have an impact on other people's lives. You know, halfway through the book of Ephesians, I believe it's at the beginning of Ephesians 4, Paul uses the word therefore, and as we know, when we see a word, that when we see the word therefore, we know that we got to think about what was just said and get ready to have that impact what we need to do. There's something that we need to do, and the therefore before was obviously talking about Jesus and what he did on the cross and how we're now connected with him in Christ and all our sins are taken away and we have this new life. And therefore, and then Paul goes on for the next three chapters, chapters four, five, and six, giving specific input and advice about how we need to live our lives. He says, therefore, we need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We need to walk no longer as Gentiles also walk, because they walk in futility, darkened, excluded, ignorant with a hard heart, impure, and greedy. In chapter 2, verse 15, I have to go back, but he says, 
speak the truth in love. This is how we ought to walk, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow into him, fitted, to help, fitted and held together like joints in a body with each individual part working properly and causing the growth of the body and building up of itself in love. You know, talking about the past is good, but if it really only helps you or helps someone else be better in the future. So how does your story play out this year? Season 22, how does it play out? God uh, has, a, has the framework of the story, uh, but, but we have creative license to shape the main character, which is you and me. Season 22 is about being 100% in the present, not controlled by the past or limited by the future but totally connected to God and connected to the church and connected to others. So my encouragement to you is to make the episodes of season 22 a must watch. Make season 22 such an amazing spirit-filled led story that you will want to tell your friends and family all about it for years to come. God bless.